1: Welcome into WEEI. I am John Lyons and I am joined by Mike Cadlin. What up? Mike, how are you? I'm great. How we doing? It's a pleasure to be on. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been on here on EEI. And uh, of course, there's a lot to get to, Mike. Look, We got got three new Patriots coordinators. We were talking before the show. I think the last time they hired three new coordinators and announced all of them in the winter was probably 2000 when Bill Belichick first took over as head coach. So, uh, Mike, it's, it's been a little, little, yeah, while. yeah. A little this while. Is, I don't even this know this is you uncharted were alive territory. territory.
3: Yeah. No, I was uh 2000, I was about four years old. Okay, so, so you I, were alive. I don't okay. remember the hiring of Charlie Weiss. I wasn't uh, privy to the, the press okay. release. It was a great day in New one. England. But
1: <laughs> so we have that, but also, I mean, the funny thing is, Mike, that is not even the most significant executive coach level transaction nope. this week. It's been Theo Epstein coming back to the Red Sox. Of course, we got some, I think, interesting Celtics stuff to get into because we've talked quite a bit here about. They're the favorites to win the championship. I still believe that, but you know they've had some struggles over the past couple weeks, specifically against really good Western Conference teams. So we have that to get into. We are going to be joined by Nat Gordo at 3 o'clock to talk more about Theo Epstein and the Red Sox. We'll get to it a little bit before then as well. But I want to start, Mike. The Patriots have three new coordinators. and Let's zero, zero in on right now Alex Van Pelt, who is going to be their offensive coordinator, and also to the side of this, Andy Dickerson looks like he's going to be their offensive line Mm -hmm. coach. But Van Pelt, he spent a decade in the NFL as a player, 18 seasons as an NFL assistant coach. He was in Green Bay for four years with Aaron Rodgers and had many great offenses there. He's been the last four years. He's been with the Cleveland Browns. Now, didn't really call plays much. He was their offensive coordinator. He did call plays in their 2020 playoff win against the Steelers, which, Mike, if you remember, that was a crazy game with a bunch of turnovers and weird stuff. I think they were up like... 28-0 28 nothing at like the right end of the first quarter. Yeah, there was or like something. a fumble
3: and interception return, something like that. Yeah, it yeah. was
1: crazy. So he was the offensive coordinator there without really calling plays much for four years. And his offense is typically, Mike, middle of the pack, you know, 14th in points per game back in 2020, you know, 18th in 2022. Last year, they did get up to 10, 10th in points per game, but they were 29th on third down, 13th in the red zone. If you're into PFF, they had a 64.7 overall grade for their offense, which okay. is all right. Uh, but they did have five different quarterbacks, This year for Cleveland that started games, Joe Flacco played really well. And again, if you're into PFF, it was his fifth highest PFF graded year of his career, but he played well. Another interesting thing for me about Van Pelt, and I want to get into this later, worked with Elliott Wolf in Green Bay, who has a prominent role with the Patriots. So that's kind of the background on Alex Van Pelt, in case you've been living under a rock over the past week and haven't heard much about him. Mike, when I see this hire of Van Pelt, I like it, but I don't... Like it as much as if it had been Nick Cayley or Josh McDaniels or Zach Robinson. And maybe I'm being unfair to Van Pelt because I want, so I want to get your take. You cover the Patriots for WEI.com. You do a great job doing that. Alex Van Pelt, when he comes in, is this a Big upgrade over Bill O'Brien. Is this a similar thing? I mean, it's it's different system. Like, sure.
3: what what are we getting in Alex Van Pelt? I'm um, I'm with you on the the like it scale. Like, okay. I, I like the higher. I'm not you know I'm not 6. over 5. the moon 5 out it. of ten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And so, um, you, you mentioned Kaylee and McDaniel's and Robinson. I kind of put those three in like all different baskets, right? So I like this better than a Nick Kaylee because, okay. and the reason is because Kaylee's never worked with quarterbacks, and I think that is so you know, huge and monumental for what this team needs to do now moving forward into twenty twenty four because, you know, whether you like Mac Jones or not, he's probably not going to be the quarterback of the future of this team. They have the number three overall pick. And at least according to Ian Rappaport, Van Pelt is going to have at least some involvement in whatever quarterback they do bring in, whether it's free agency, whether it's that number three pick, whether it's the, you know, thirty fourth pick, whatever, right? So the fact that Van Pelt has worked with quarterbacks, in my opinion, is crucial. He was a quarterback's coach in Green Bay. Um and, you know, touched Aaron Rodgers and obviously, you know, Baker Mayfield as well. And who who was pretty good in Cleveland until he got hurt. Right. And that was, you know, yep. part of Van Pelt's doing. Um, so, again, I, I, I like the hire, um, the positives again, the quarterback, um, the positives. He's been around a while. He's, you know, he's not just a brand new offensive coordinator. He has called plays. He called plays a little bit in Buffalo. Now it didn't go great, um, but he he has that, you know, that experience. The the downsides and, and another you know another thing that I look at as a positive is I don't think he's gonna just be here for a year and a half and bounce. Like okay. guys yeah. like Zach Robinson, right? Who I would have taken over a guy like Alex Van Pelt. Zach Robinson, you know, up and comer, McVay system, you know, new again, it, it's it's buzzwordy, but like this new age modern offense that everybody wants to run. And I know it's all similar stuff, and Andy Hart, if he's listening, is gonna kill me for calling it the modern offense, but that that's that's what it is, right? And so, yeah, Catholic, it's new stuff. It's <laughs> yeah, rocket science. Well, and so, um, you know, long story short, if if Robinson came in here and succeeded, he would be gone for a head coaching job in two years, right? And so, Van Pelt, he's, you know he's been around, and I think that he's kind of probably looking for a place to stick around. And so, I like that. The negatives, it, it, it's it's exactly that. He's kind of a retread. He he's been around and he hasn't really excelled to a head coaching level. Those offensive numbers that you mentioned, they haven't been great. And so. I like the hire, um, and again, the reason I like it better than a Nick Caley is because Kaylee's never worked with quarterbacks, and they need that guy who can kind of be that you know, that right-hand man in the ear of who the, who's the signal caller going to be next Yeah, year. and
1: I think the Kaylee point, too, if he had come here and been and look, he was my number one. Him and Josh McDaniels were my top two sure. choices. And uh, shout-out to Liam Cohen, too, local guy getting hired by the Bucs as their yep. OC. He was another guy I would have loved here. But I think if Kaylee had been here for two years and their offense was good and a young quarterback was good, he would have been gone, too. Right. Right, so that's something that a guy like Van Pelt, you figure, is going to be here. for. And, look, he was at Green Bay for four years, right? He was in Cleveland for four years. You figure if you can get four years out of him. Because I think one of the issues the Patriots had with Mac Jones, look, he didn't play well. We know that. We don't have to relitigate that whole thing. But three years, three offensive coordinators. Like, that's tough for any young quarterback. So if you can get Van Pelt here for several years, I think that's good. And you mentioned the key word there, Mike, quarterback. Right. Right, he played quarterback in the NFL. He's coached quarterbacks. He's developed quarterbacks. I mean, he got some good games uh, out of Dorian Thompson Robinson, right. right? Like this year like so he got Joe Flacco to have I mean go from his couch to the playoffs this year. So he's I think good at least at working with quarterbacks we've seen. And and I don't know if I want to put Rodgers in the same boat in Green Bay because I think Rodgers freelances so much yeah, and he's course. just so good right. too. <laughs> Excuse me. And by that point but at that point, too, elite. there's
3: also, like, a, a push-pull where, you know, he learns from Rodgers, Rodgers learns from him. Like, even if, you know, again, he does freelance, you still pick up things from a quarterback that you might not necessarily pick up from a new guy that you're teaching all this stuff to. You yeah. you know, you reciprocate some stuff from, you know, what has to happen, whether it's off-platform, which, like, Rodgers is so great at, right. kind of teaching those types of things. So there's probably a push-pull there. In green right,
1: right, and too. we've really seen two hires. So, and I guess Andy Dickerson on the O-line's not official hire yet, right. but... Good at developing young players, especially young offensive linemen in Seattle. We can get to him more in a bit. Van Pelt, good at de- – because this is going to be a young offense, right? right. They're pro- and I think the Van Pelt hire tells me I think it increases the likelihood they take a quarterback at third overall. 100%. Because this guy is good with quarterbacks. I mean, he played quarterback. You want someone like that developing a young qu- – even if he doesn't start right away. Like, they, Look, it's in play. They could take a guy at three overall mm-hmm. and sit him for a year. But whenever that guy plays, whether it's week one or year two – you're going to want someone there developing him that has experience doing it. So, And I understand that the overall offensive numbers are mid, mm-hmm. really, for Alex Van Pelt. But I think the quarterback play, he's generally gotten the most out of the quarterbacks that he's coached. And they're going to have to have that with whoever they draft this spring.
3: Well, and the other hire, too, that you know we, we haven't talked about yet, the one that it's not it's been reported, it's not official, is Ben McAdoo coming in as a guy who um, Albert Breer reported would be sort of an assistant head coach, advisor on the offense type of role, which, uh, you know, people look at Ben McAdoo, people look at, you know, Van Pelt, this whole retread thing, the McDaniels thing, where well he, he, you know, he's not good as a head coach, and he didn't, you know, he he didn't succeed, and he you know he was fired after two years. But it's so much different being just like an offensive mind than it is you it's know a having, massively different job, right? It's a and we I think I think you retweeted it too yesterday. Our, our guy Taylor Kyle's at CLNS yeah. kind of talked about it, and it's like it's the same thing with McDaniel's. It's the same thing with Ben McAdoo. Ben McAdoo's been around. Uh, he worked not only in he was he actually worked with uh, with Green Bay too. Elliot Wolf is putting together like yeah. Packers East out here. Yeah. Um. But I mean that's going to be another one too where a guy who's worked with quarterbacks like they're really honing in on this quarterback-centric um, offensive rebuild. At least that's what it seems from the, the few hires they're, they've reportedly made so far. So Yeah,
1: and one thing, another one, and, and you tweeted about this this morning. Mike Reese had it in his Sunday column. Yep. Chad O'Shea yep. is on the radar to potentially come back. I would love Chad O'Shea back because, look, you've not been good at developing young offensive linemen. City, so, I think, was good the second half of last year, but and Mike Onwenu was good in 2020 in his development, but they've had a lot of inconsistencies developing O-linemen. They've had inconsistency developing quarterbacks over the past four years. We know what happened with Mac Zappi didn't really get any better mm-hmm. in his time here. They've had a ton of difficulty developing wide receivers, and yeah. I know a lot of that has to do with the drafts, and that's on Belichick, and that's on the front office, but are there any receivers over the past few years, Mike, that have gotten better year to year here? Nope. <laughs> I can't think of it. Right. Really. I can't think yeah. of any. Whereas in O'Shea's time, now look, I know we started out with Moss and Welker. Right. I get it. But, I mean, he was a big part of developing Julian Edelman. 100%. Right? He was a big part of developing. And Chris Hogan, I think, was a good player when he came here. But Chad O'Shea helped elevate that. I mean, yeah. Chris Hogan led the NFL in yards per reception in 2016. Even Wes Welker, like, you mentioned. Welker
3: got better. Yeah, like Welker came in. It, granted, you mentioned Welker and Moss. Moss came in as, you know, a solidified, yeah, he's Randy the Freaking best Moss. wide receiver. Yeah. But even Wes Welker wasn't like this hotshot guy. He he His career blossomed once he came yeah. here, and that, that's got to be, you know, to Chad O'Shea's credit.
1: Right, exactly. And I'm not saying that we got to throw a parade over a wide receivers coach <laughs> yeah. being hired, but it's a massive problem they've had for years. They have not. Developed. Look at Malcolm Mitchell and how much he came along as a rookie in 2016. I mean, if not for injuries, he probably would have been a big part of that offense for several years. I mean, when Brian Flores left in 2019, I was really hoping O'Shea would stay and eventually take over for McDaniels. Yeah. The timeline just didn't line up, right. but I was hopeful. That would happen. So that's he ended up going to Miami with Flores, right? So he, He, yeah, and he was there for a year, and then it was actually kind of weird. Like Flores fired him, but the kind of reports were was that O'Shea he took the Patriots' offense with him was too complex for a young quarterback, which they ended up drafting Tua. So because Ryan Fitzpatrick was the one running it with O'Shea, and they again that second half of that 2019 season, they were pretty good. Right. But I think this is great because I think that would help develop wide receivers, something they've struggled with. But I also think. You have so many young coaches on this staff. I think it's good to have a guy. Like, this is another thing about Van Pelt, which I think is good. He's been around the block. He has experience. He's a guy that, you know, maybe there's situations as coaches that Gerard Mayo hasn't been through. And whoever their new running backs coach is, because it looks like Vinny Sinceri will leave, may not have been through. Some of these Andy Dickerson maybe has not been through, whereas Van Pelt's been through pretty much any game situation around, right? And O'Shea... I would add to that, he's been through pretty much any game situation and he's won multiple Super Bowls. Right. Like, I think that's he's won multiple Super Bowls as a coach because Mayo won a Super Bowl as a player. It's different to win one as a coach. So, again, I, I really hope the O'Shea hire would happen. And it feels like, even though, like, I think the Van Pelt one to me, Mike, and I think you're with me on this, it, it's kind of, eh, it's good. I don't love it as much as I would yeah. some others. It feels like what they're starting to put around him, though. I think could be pretty good, especially for player development.
3: Right. It just, it, again, it's, that's the word it's, and I'm trying to take the positive route here because again, you know, even though we're on sports radio, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Listen into yeah. this. It's actually, you know, if you want to be a fan of the team, come listen to lines and yeah, Cadillac. reasonable radio, one to four. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But I mean, serious, yeah, I mean, I, I look, I it's easy to find ways to bash it, right. Yeah. You know, Oh, it's just Alex Van Pelt. Nobody, he, he wasn't even interviewed. He never did this. He never did that. He wasn't on anybody's radar. Like, he he's done good work in this league, and again, you yeah. mentioned all the guys they're going to put around him with your, again, the McAdoo, the O'Shea. Hopefully, that uh, the Dickerson guy yeah. for the offensive line. Like it seems like they're you know embracing the fact that we're going to put a lot of good minds together and fill out a staff. Where even the last couple of years with Belichick, the whole thing with him was like he only, I, I don't even want to call them yes men that he would around, but guys, yeah, right, guys F-O-Bs. who he knew he could trust, yes. and there was no, you know. No one from the outside. You bring him in from within. The, obviously the Patricia and Judge is just one of them, but even O'Brien. Like yeah. you know, things like that. Adrian Clem had played here F-O-B. before. So yep. yeah. So um the fact that they're kind of expanding their surge a little bit. Elliot Wolf's fingerprints are on it. And I mean, say what you will about Elliot Wolf and everyone's kind of upset that they didn't bring in a new GM and they're promoting him from within, but He did good work in Green Bay. He wasn't the main man, but he even went to Cleveland. He was there at the beginning of Baker Mayfield's time in Cleveland as an assistant executive. He was involved in that whole thing. And so, uh, I mean,
1: one thing you can say about Green Bay for the last 25 years, (laughs) they consistently draft well. Right. right? They're not a big free agency team, not a big trade team. They draft well. I mean, look at their offense now. It's all first and second year guys. And I know Wolf wasn't there, but he came up under that system. He helped put a lot of those good Green Bay teams together. only kind of nagging question I have, I shouldn't say the only nagging question, though, Mike Reese last Sunday says Nick Kaley looks like he's yeah. well-positioned to get it. Then there's reports that maybe they didn't want to pay him. Do you think Kaylee was asking for too much, or should we be concerned, like, are they not going to pay enough for guys because they have Belichick's salary still mm-hmm. kind of on the books, and they have maybe other expenses? Like, is there any concern there? Because, look, I've always said for 20 years, when they spend well, I give Belichick credit. When they spend poorly, I blame Belichick because yeah. I thought really was he got whatever money he needed to use as fit. Now he's not there though. Are they saying we don't want
3: to spend this much, or do you think Kaylee maybe
1: had an unreasonable number in mind? I,
3: I have a hard time thinking that Kaylee was asking for the moon because, um, granted, he like did he did he really earn that? Like, does he have the right to be like, no, I want this number and here's why? Like, no, you, and again, nope. No discredit to Nick Cayley, but you know, you've been a tight ends coach for a couple seasons both here and elsewhere. Like, you're not Ben Johnson who was asking yeah. for, you know, racks on racks to go coach <laughs> yeah, yeah, in geez. Washington, right? Yeah. You're Nick Cayley. And so I think my sort of read on it is, and nobody had this nobody knew Alex Van Pelt was on the radar. He reportedly came in and interviewed yeah. in person on Wednesday, and then they hired him on Thursday. So I think they were just continuing that long list of due diligence they he was the 12th interview and i think he came in and he woed them you know yeah. again a he guy popped. he popped he popped again i think that that quarterback resume is so crucial and so i think that was the one drawback on kaylee i've mentioned it three times in this segment but i really think that's so yeah. critical so, I think him coming in was able to display that part of his resume. It's really what kind of, you know, blew, uh, wooed them over, and that's why they hired him. All
1: right, we got a lot more on their offensive coordinator hire to get to. And believe it or not, Mike, uh, they hired two other coordinators <laughs> yeah. over the past week. We're going to get into that next segment. But first, we have to trend with Mike
0: Hadler. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy.
2: You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago,
0: Illinois. We're back to John Lyons on WEI.
3: I go back, you look, of course, he was in Buffalo all those years ago um, as a younger coach, and then he was in Green Bay for a bunch of years under Mike McCarthy, and when he went to Cleveland, it was now you're going to be ingratiated into the Kubiak-Shanahan style of offense. That's what Kevin Stefanski is running there. And so like he brings a blend of a lot of different things. And look, I know a lot of people were looking, this and say, looking at this and saying, get me Zach Robinson off of Sean McVay's staff. Get me Clint Kubiak off of Kyle Shanahan's staff. This guy brings the same offense with him. He has experience in the offense. He's been a coordinator in the offense, which neither Zach Robinson or, um, or Clint Kubiak have been. And the other part of it, you're probably not going to lose him after a year or two. Like, I I don't think people are going to be knocking down Alex Van Pelt's door to become a head coach. So there's a better chance that this guy could be here for four, five, six years than if you hired one of the younger guys.
1: Back here on WEI, second segment. We made it through the first segment, Mike.
3: Crystal clear. Great.
1: I'm John Lyons. Mike Kadlik is here with me that was albert breer talking about the alex van pelt hire we do have some people on the phone lines we'll be getting to that soon Uh, there were two other coordinator hires demarcus covington 34 years old promoted to defensive coordinator jeremy springer special teams coordinator also 34 years old but before we get deeper into those i do want to go to mick in new hampshire mick thanks for joining the program you're on the air
2: hey my pleasure john thanks for taking the call are you the John Lyons that was the pitcher for the Red Sox?
1: Uh, no, unfortunately not.
2: <laughs> uh, I didn't know if you were the guy that you know whipped down his pants in front of the fans and stuff. I no, that sure. might have been Mike
1: Hadlick, though. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Back when he was at Worcester yeah. State. But, Mick, uh, what do you got for us on uh, the Patriots?
2: So, honestly, I can't believe that you're considering bringing back Josh McDaniels. That That is so stupid. You know, I really like the fact that, that Coach Mayo is bringing in fresh talent and fresh blood. And I know this McAdoo guy has been around the block, but he hasn't been in New England. And I just got to, I just can't imagine bringing Josh McDaniels back here. So I'll hang up and listen to what you guys got to say. But Jesus, if this is a reasonable radio show, you got to That isn't reasonable, man. Jesus.
1: Mick, I appreciate the call, and uh, you can probably sleep easy tonight because I think with Alex Van Pelt here, that would shut the door on Josh McDaniels coming back. Because even I don't even think they'd bring him as like an assistant head coach.
3: Well, it's type so role before know. the before the McAdoo thing yesterday, and after. So let me take you back. I forwei. for my whole Patriots coverage. Sometimes when things start to. Um, you know, rumors start to come into fruition. i like pre write an article, right? And so I had the I had Nick Cayley hired as Patriots offensive coordinator all written out.
1: That's like that signed A Rod Red Sox contract <laughs> yeah, exactly. in a draw somewhere. Yeah, or it's like thing. uh
3: it's like when you know how you say like the um the bitter end, the old uh the Boston Globe print that was supposed to be for when the Patriots lost the 28-3 to yes, game? Like, yeah. something like that. Like, you have it already. Obviously, the Kaylee thing didn't happen, but in that piece, I sort of wrote about how, again, Albert Breer, who has been Scoop City around the, uh, the Patriots for the last couple weeks, he said that the Patriots' plan was to bring in, like, a You know, another offensive mind ahead of the or above the offensive coordinator to be sort of a fallback to a guy in case he's never really done it before. When they hired Van Pelt, I was like, maybe they won't do that anymore because he's been around the block. But then I was uh, uh, again, I was volleying back and forth with this in my head, and I'm like, oh, well, the McAdoo one makes sense, and that's what it is. And so I think with McAdoo here, that takes McDaniels out of the equation. But I still wouldn't have been surprised if he was that guy above Alex Van Pelt to be, you know, that sort of. I don't even want to call it a liaison between the head coach, but a guy has, like had that experience sure. and can help that out a little bit more. Because again, Josh is a good offensive mind in this league. He yeah. always people has don't want been. to admit that nobody wants to admit like, it.
1: And it, it here's here's the thing, Mike. Okay, and I'm sorry I cut you off. No, you're th- good. This is something that aggravates me. Okay, I get it. He was bad as the head coach of the Denver Broncos. He was bad as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. The it's very bad. You can itself. say very bad. <laughs> He ran the Patriots offense for 14 years, and right. I'm including a couple years where he had the quarterbacks coach title but not the OC, but he was calling plays and running it. He ran the Patriots offense for 14 years. You know how many times, Mike, they were top 10 in points per game? 14. 13. Okay. The only year they <laughs> weren't were Cam Newton. 13 or oh, 14. Right, okay. That includes... Eighth in the league in points per game with Matt Castle, yep. and sixth in points per game with Mac Jones. So I'm not. I don't think he's going to come back now that they hired Van Pelt. Correct. But uh, if he did, Patriots fans should feel good about it offensively. Right. And a
3: another thing, he's worked with quarterbacks. You he, need that guy. I'm gonna. I'm gonna fall back on that for the next four no, or three no, hours. That's here. fine. Like and that. You
1: can do an extra hour.
3: That's fine. <laughs> I mean, seriously. But,
1: but, yeah, Matt Castle developed under him. Right. Mac Jones is one good year. Bingo. Like, And, look, Tom Brady was the GOAT, but he got better each year under McDaniels. Yep. So, like, whether you want to admit it or not, the guy is a good offensive coach. But I think the Van Pelt thing, I think they would have brought in McDaniels if they had hired – Kaylee is OC or Zach Robbins. Like a younger guy hadn't. Whereas Van Pelt, I know his play calling experience is relatively limited, but the guy's been 18 years in the NFL as an assistant coach. He's been an OC for a lot. Like he knows how to run an offense. And
3: we keep mentioning the, oh, he hasn't called plays. He hasn't called plays. Like every single coordinator who's been good and is good has at one point never called plays. Of course. You got to go trial by fire and you got to go check it out. And Sean McVeigh had a point where he didn't call plays. Mike McDaniel. Didn't call plays in San Francisco. Yeah. He was their offensive coordinator. He went to Miami, became their head coach, and called plays for the first time in the NFL as the Miami Dolphins head coach. I think he's done a pretty good job.
1: And I think something similar uh, with Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota, yeah. right? Same deal. Oh, that's right, yeah. He didn't call plays. and I mean, I know he's had injuries there, but they've had reasonably good to make the playoffs last Justin year. Justin
3: Jefferson's like the best wide receiver in football. Under yeah,
1: him. exactly. So, I mean, I think you can get around that. But look, he's still got to do it, right? Mm-hmm. There's no... There's no really way, right? Like, he's still going to do it. He's right. going to do it for a full year. And what I'm interested to see is how he adjusts as the year goes. It's Agreed. one thing to call plays for a game or two and be all right. But we'll see how he adjusts as the yeah, season goes sure. on. Two other coordinator hires, though, Mike. We've spent a half hour on just the offense. But the offense was the biggest problem they had last year. One problem the Patriots didn't have last year, defensively. Yep. And they've promoted Demarcus Covington, 34 years old. He was their defensive line coach. He played wide receiver in college At Eastern Illinois in 2016, he was a co-defensive coordinator, so he has some experience at least being at the coordinator level. Mm -hmm. Defensively, seven seasons coaching with the Patriots. He won Super Bowl 53. He was their outside linebackers coach early on in 2019. Then he's been working with the defensive line. And, look, we've talked about this before, and I think it's important. One of the most important things for a coach, especially a position coach, Mike, do your guys get better Mm -hmm. as football players? And offensively this year, Nobody got better. That's not hyperbole. Right. You look at the 2022 offense to the 2023 offense, I can't think of a single player who was better. Now, some guys had Maybe better Kendrick numbers. Maybe Kendrick Bourne. I don't think he was better. I think they just used him more. Yeah, that's like that's, that's a a Matt Patricia wouldn't use him. I don't think he was a – and he's a good player, don't get me wrong, but I don't think he was a better football right. no, player. that's I just a good point. They used him more, much like I don't think Ramondre Stevenson got worse. He just got used less and then got hurt. Right. But nobody got better. Defensively, though, Christian Barmore got a lot better – From 2022 to 2023. I felt like Devon Godshaw was pretty good in 2022. I think he got better in 2023. We see Lawrence Guy at an advanced age for an NFL defensive lineman still playing pretty well. How about Josh Uche? I know he's a linebacker on the depth chart, but he's lining up off the edge so much. He's gotten a lot better over the course of the last three years. I think Covington has something to do with that. So we've seen guys get better and better. We've seen players say, hey, this guy's going to be a head coach someday. And this is an instance, Mike, where I know offensively and special teams-wise, a lot of people wanted to go outside. Their defense has been good, right. really good for the last five. Post-Brady, it's been really good. So I'm okay with the continuity here. Love and there's it. still going to be some new faces because it looks like Steve Belichick won't be back, and they, they probably will hire a new defensive line coach right. or at least a assistant defensive line coach to really work there with Covington being the D.C.
3: But this is an area where I wanted continuity, and I liked it. I like the hire of Covington a I love to the, the hire. I yeah. think that's, it's exactly what they had to do. There was no reason for them to hire outside the oh, building. Their, their, defense, defense. Been their good. defense has been really good. It's obviously been run by Mayo and Steve Belichick, who have worked closely together. Looks like Steve's probably going to be out the door. Um, but, you know, again, elevating Coven into this role, somebody who you mentioned it, you know, there's been talks of him being a potential head coach one day. He's been kind of recognized for that on several different lists. NFL.com did one a few years ago, sort of an an up-and-coming risers in the league. He was mentioned there. Uh, He was the defensive coordinator at their Senior Bowl last year, too. Um, When the Patriots coached the Shrine Bowl, he stayed back and went to, I think it was in Vegas, or... Wherever it was, or no, yeah. the senior bowl. But the point in is, I, done, I get what we, you're saying. Yeah. yeah, he. So again, he he's kind of recognized and has taken on that role as you know a young developing coach in the league, and I think the players respect him. You mentioned the defensive line getting better. The defensive line was probably the Patriots' best unit last year.
1: Yeah, oh, um, I would agree. I think Christian Barnmore was their best individual player right. too, and so
3: all And he's had um, defensive coordinator interviews in the past. So he he interviewed with Arizona last year yeah. and somewhere else I can't remember. And so um, yeah, a respected guy in and out of the building. Um, and that was their defense, there was no problem. So the fact that yeah. they elevated him and just made that work is it's perfect. It's exactly what they had to do.
1: And I think two other guys, like Dietrich Wise to me, I think he was a good player when he was drafted in twenty seventeen and had a good start. I feel like he's taken a real jump forward over the past three yeah. years. And Anthony Jennings yeah. was one of their best run defenders last The way he could set the edge in the run, which I know a lot of people might not care about. It's really important though when you're playing deep. i think he's gotten better and better at that. And again, It's one thing if one guy gets better. Right. Maybe he's just that talented. But when we're talking about five, six different guys getting better and better and better, at some point you are got to look at the position coach and say he's doing a great job. Right. And and this is is another thing, Mike, as we move forward in the offseason, I don't think they're going to do a lot of personnel investments on defense because they have the last year. So you need someone that has worked well with these guys and that you can trust to get these guys Run it better. back. Run yeah. it again. I would say, Bingo. and I would add like Mike Pellegrino at corner because mm-hmm. assuming he's back as corners coach, I think he's done a great job. Ch- we know how good their corners have been every year, but you're probably going to have Christian Gonzalez in his second year, yep. first full season. Alex Austin could be one of your starting corners. Marcus Jones will be back. So like you want guys there that you can trust to continue to develop guys because I just don't think, look, all their needs are on offense. Right. They're going to invest a bunch on offense, so I think we're going to see them Probably not as best, as much personnel-wise, so I think that's another great thing about the continuity here in the system right. as well as in the development.
3: Well, and, and another guy to kind of keep an eye on that I've, I've sort of tried to connect the dots here a little bit is, uh, what's his name? Uh, I'm trying to find it. Michael Hodges. Uh, he was okay. the Saints linebackers coach. They interviewed him for the defensive coordinator position. You mentioned earlier Demarcus Covington was the co-defensive coordinator at Eastern Illinois. The other co-defensive code coordinator was Michael Hodges, and so they as worked...
1: linebackers coach, if Steve Belichick leaves, bingo, there you go. You could
3: give him a, maybe a play-calling role because uh, Steve called the defense last year. Again, Covington might take that over, sure. but if Hodges wants to come here, it would be a lateral move. But you know, given some salary yeah. or something like that, that they can like make that work. And so I... that would be the one sort of outside hire to look at. But there's still continuity there because he's worked with Covington before.
1: And I wonder what's Mayo's role here? Because I think Mayo has been a great defensive coach for several years now, but now he's the head coach. Is he going to do it some years? Belichick would almost make Josh McDaniels the CEO of the offense. Is he going to do that with Alex Van Pelt? Or is he going to look at it as... No, I'm going to be the true CEO head coach, right. and I'm going to let Covington run the D. I'm going to let Springer run the special teams, Van Pelt run the offense, and I'm going to kind of have my hand in all of it. And I think, look, there's there's good and bad in, in both approaches, right. but I wonder how involved Mayo wants to be because I think out of necessity – He's going to have to have involvement in special teams, and he's going to have to have involvement on offense. And too.
3: no knock, well, again, but no knock on Mayo. But like, what what is he going to be able to bring to an offense? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's not something he's coached. Not right. He's I mean, yeah, you can give sort of like, we're going to go for it here. We're going to, but that's any head coach. You know, we go for it. We we don't we punt. Blah blah blah. But like, I, I just I don't think he needs to entirely have his hands on the offense. Aside from kind of what you know, what system and the kind of philosophy yeah. they want to have there, much like Dan Campbell does in the in Detroit. But he's not out there calling plays either, and yeah. so. Um, I do. I think he's going to want to and end up having his hands on the defense a little bit more than obviously, and especially like his first
1: teams. year as a head coach. Right. Like, I mean, you can't get in the weeds too much when you're learning on the job, and this is for any first right. year head coach. You're learning how to be a head coach, and that's going to take a couple years right. too. So, it, and that can be from how do I want schedules, how do I want my fourth down decisions, and everything in between. Exactly. He's going to have to learn to do that. So, I, I think Covington's going to get some real attitude here. Mm-hmm. And I'm, honestly, Mike. I'm okay with it. He's earned it. I think he's earned it, and I think he's going to do a good job with that amount of latitude. They did make another coordinator hire, though. And, Mike, look, I I coached college football for a lot of years. I I try not to be too negative when it comes to coaching because I know how (laughs) hard the job is, despite the fact that I did say Robert Kraft had justification to fire the greatest coach of all time. (laughs) Put that aside. But the one that I'm most underwhelmed by here, Jeremy Springer, at special teams coordinator. Now we know he was at least their second choice because they tried to hire Marquise Williams from yeah. Atlanta. He said no. I think he has a close relationship with Raheem Morris. He wanted to stay there. And you know, Atlanta's a decent place. It would have been a for.
3: lateral move up here, and he's already been there. He's probably has his you know roots down there. So. Exactly. So Springer, just you know, for those who don't know, a little
1: background on him, he played quarterback at UTEP and then switched to linebacker and actually became a starter at linebacker yeah. while in college. But coaching wise, the last two years he was the assistant special teams coach with the Rams. And, look, we talked a lot, Mike, about how bad this Patriots special teams was this year, and I think it cost them multiple games. The Rams special teams was worse. Yeah. Believe it or not, like, objectively. Right, they weren't great. In 2022, they were 23rd in DVOA, 28th by PFF in special teams. 2023... 32nd, that's last, folks, in DVOA on special teams. And a little better at PFF, 31st (laughs) by PFF grade on special teams. And when he was in Arizona, now he had some success at Texas A&M working with their special teams, but when he was the coordinator at Arizona with the Wildcats, before he got there, they were 122nd on special teams per PFF, which is awful. Right. While he was there, the three years, they were 58th, 111th, and 70th, which... It's better. It's an
3: improvement, right? But they're
1: not top fifty no. at any point. Like, so I'm looking at this is a unit that we criticize Bill Belichick for investing too much in. They invested a lot in it. It's been horrible the last two years, and I don't have a lot of confidence. Like, okay, I, could it be worse than last year? Probably not, but I don't have a ton <laughs> of confidence here that it's going to get a lot better than it was a year ago. And I, and I, I hate to do this, I don't right. know Jeremy Springer that well, but I mean, look, the Rams are one of the few teams worse than the Patriots. And he wasn't their first choice. This is the one, even more so. And I know offense is is more important. And Van Pelt's a bigger hire. I have much fewer concerns about Alex Van Pelt than I do about Springer in the special teams
3: unit. This one feels much more like a you know a special teams coach palate cleanser because you know everybody nobody could stand Cam Accord. Nobody yeah. wants Joe Judge around here. Um, and they do. They just kind of needed something different in the room. Uh. Again, maybe it's technically worse than what Acord and Judge built here last year, but it's still a change of pace. It's something different. The one thing I look at too is, you know, when Mayo during his press conference kept saying, he, "Well, he wants to build a culture and he wants to be, you know, high energy and bring, you know, bring the juice and have this whole like a call it a new age coaching kind sure. of thing here." Right, Jeremy Springer. That's that's the book on him as he brings that. He's he's high energy. He gets the guys going. Um, and I think that's really probably what sold them in the interview process is Mayo seeing that and seeing, oh, y- you know, y- we vibe, right? Like, you know, we look at each other. and We want the same thing moving forward from a coaching staff perspective. So,
1: yeah, obviously, possible.
3: they couldn't get Williams. They bring in Springer. Um, The only thing I think of every time I hear Jeremy Springer is Jerry Springer. I think everybody's kind yeah. of on well, that.
1: And I think one thing they do have in common when you talk about Mayo staff philosophy. Yeah. Seem to be higher energy guys and I am not trying to say Bill O'Brien wasn't a higher, but maybe higher positive energy. Yeah. guys like Van Pelt, that's the book on him. That's right. the biggest thing people say. Oh, he, he's great to work with. He'll make guys buy in right away. Demarcus right. Covington, we know guys there love him. They've said it publicly before. And the Rams under McVay Bingo. have that vibe to them. Yep. You know, and I don't and again, the special teams are bad there, but the, the staff, the environment again, won a Super Bowl a couple years ago with that vibe around them. And I know and he also wasn't there. Yeah, but. he
3: was more of a position coach too there. He wasn't the coordinator. And he, as bad or as not great as I guess the numbers were when he was at A&M in Arizona, like you mentioned, they got better than they were before he was there. So if that's what can happen here, I guess that's the positive, right? And so it's... Yeah. It, you're right. It's probably the most underwhelming hire, but I st- I'm, I'm still not going to sit here and completely you know, bag on the guy either.
1: Yeah, and, and on one hand, I mean, I think, look, I'm going to give Mayo a little leeway here because he did go outside. It's right. something new. And they, like you said, it's a good point. He was the assistant with the Rams, right? Yep. So maybe Mayo looks at it and says, hey, he was specifically responsible for A, Y, and Z, and A, Y, and Z were great. And the, the rest of the Rams yeah. special team stunk. So th- that could be part of it too. I-, I think, like for me, Covington is the guy I'm most excited about then Van Pelt, sure. and with Van Pelt, I put Dickerson, I put a potential O'Shea, and then it's Springer sure. kind of after that. But I think, and we're going to get more on this later in the show, feels like a really big overhaul, though, across the board of the way they're going to do things, yep. their approach, and their philosophy. But, Mike, we talked a lot about all these hires. This wasn't the biggest news in Boston sports
3: this Not week. even close.
1: Theo Epstein. He's back. I'm wearing my 2004 Red Sox <laughs> World Champions hat right now. That Theo brought to us Theo Epstein is back folks And we are going to dive into that Coming up right after this break
2: Listen to every MLB game live In the deep left center field It is high, it is far, it
0: is kind
2: Stream minor league affiliates
0: The Midwest League home run leader
2: And watch the best baseball highlights And look-ins on MLB Big Inning MLB at bat is your all-in-one Live baseball subscription For only $3.99 per month
0: Deep left field, it's going to go Alvarez
2: Subscribe to at Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
0: We're back to John Lyons on WEI.
1: Back here on Wei, I'm John Lyons, alongside Mike Cadlick. Yep. We got Joe producing behind the board. Joe, I won't. Uh, I won't Hi, try to say your last name if you just want to tell the people what it is. <laughs> Zekanowski. Okay, Joe Zekanowski. Did Jay-Z I say it right?
3: Yeah, yeah. You can. All right. Jay Z. Joe. You know. Jay Z. Jay Z. Okay. Run this town. <laughs> I'll take that. Bring in some Jay Z next time. Yeah, All right, yeah. Uh, there
1: we go. Speaking of running this town, a guy who did it very successfully. Good transition. Yeah, a guy who did it very successfully on the baseball side, Theo Epstein, the one and only Theo Epstein. And look, Mike, I got to tell you, today is the fourth anniversary of the Red Sox trading Mookie Betts to the Dodgers.
3: That's disgusting. Yeah, it, it was. I can't disgusting. believe they put me on air for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm going to vomit. Yeah, <laughs> write a strongly worded letter yeah. to Ken Laird. How dare you put me on <laughs> on the day they traded Mookie yeah. Betts? So four years ago today, they trade Mookie Betts, and, and I got to be honest with you, Mike. In those four years, I can think of about two or three months where it was really enjoyable to watch the Red Sox. Like, I look at maybe the first half or so of 2021. I think, like, June, they're really good. October of 2021. And I think, you know, early this year, like, there was, like, June this year where they were in it, or even July. I'll put July because they were, you know, in playoff range. Right before the the deadline. (laughs) Yeah. So, really, I'm talking in the last four years, I think I've had three, and maybe I'll be generous here. I've had four months, really, where I've enjoyed watching the Red Sox. And what has been their failing, Mike, time after time these last few years, to me it boils down to two things. There's two real reasons why the Red Sox are now an afterthought throughout much of Boston and why they've been a bad baseball team the last two years. Number one, they will not spend on premium talent. Outside of Rafael Devers, they just won't. You know they've given out – one nine-figure contract in the last three years in free agency, and it was Trevor Story. Ridiculous. One. Yep. Okay? So they won't spend on premium talent, and they've been blatantly ineffective at the trade deadline multiple years in a row. Even 2021 when they got Kyle Schwarber, which was a great move in hindsight. That's one of the months that I liked was after the
3: the Kyle Schwarber. Tournament.
1: But he was the discount Anthony Rizzo. Yeah. Because st- he was hurt at the time, right? right? So they didn't even go for the big fish then. And Schwarber, they didn't even re-sign him, right? And then what does he do? Leads the NL and homers mm-hmm. after he leaves, of course. But ineffective at the trade deadline under Bloom, and refusal from ownership to spend on premium talent. Again, four years ago today, Mookie Betts leaves. If there's one guy, Mike... That I think can change those two things
3: for the better. One guy on the planet Earth, I think it's Theo Epstein. He's back, baby. I love it. I mean, I think that was an. Look, for all the bad PR around this team lately from John Henry and Sam Kennedy and all those guys up front, like this is the one move, you're right, that can really turn the tides. I yeah, should have done this before winter weekend. <laughs> I know. I saw Tomasi wrote that or tweeted that the other day. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Like this is the one sort of needle mover that this Boston Fenway sports group, whatever you want to call it, could really do to help this team. Cause you, you mentioned he's the one guy who has, you know, puts all the chips in on the table at the trade deadline. He'll try, he'll want to spend, he'll try and spend. And so he's not here as the president of baseball operations. He is sort of a an advisor is what his thing was. It was a part owner yeah. um, in Fenway sports group. Not even Boston Red Sox mentioned. But uh, and someone someone wrote this the other day. I can't remember who where anything Theo does, he goes full force. He wants to improve it. He doesn't just go in somewhere just to kind of, you know, wait in the wind or wait in the water if you will. Like he's going to go in and he wants to accomplish something. And so for him to be back, for him to be the one guy that, you know, Henry and ownership trust to bring in, I think it's awesome. Like I really yeah. do. I think this is actually a a big deal for for the Red Sox.
1: Yeah, and look, I understand that we have spring training starting in a couple weeks. He's not going to come in and make the 2024 Red Sox World Series contenders, but I think within a couple of years, we're right. really next off season and there's a lot of really good free agents next mm. offseason, whether it's Garrett Cole or Juan Soto, Corbin Burns, right? There's a lot, Max Fried, yep. like there's a Paul Goldschmidt, even a little bit older, but a lot of great, great free agents next off season. Theo is the one, like, and I think Craig Breslow is still going to mostly be in charge of the trade of deadline, course. but if he goes to Theo and he says, Hey, what do you think? Like that's best person to go to, right? right? But I think even more important than that, he's the one guy that he can look at John Henry and say, yeah, you, you got to go sign Juan Soto and you got to pay him a lot of money. Right. You know, or you got to go sign Max Fried and you got to pay him a lot of money. And yeah, there's some risk involved. But he's the guy. And let's think about this, Mike, because w- when he was here, mm-hmm. if he had not been here, do you think they would have traded for Kurt Schilling, signed Keith Folk, tried to trade for A-Rod, and albeit failed, but made all those aggressive moves? And Actually, then, traded Nomar. And then trade Nomar right. for Cabrera. Do you think they would have done all those things? I don't think so. Hell no. They, I don't think so. And then. Do you think the way the Red Sox operate now, are they a team that would have traded Hanley Ramirez and Anibal Sanchez for Josh Beckett and Mike Lowell? I don't think so, right? So I think he's the one guy. And I think here's the thing about Theo, too, which is why he's been so wildly successful. He will spend big money on premium talent. He will trade for premium talent, but he will identify the really great players in the farm system and keep them around. Mm -hmm. You know, you go back to, I know in 04, he was kind of taking over with a group already most, like, Major league level already yeah, in place. Yeah. But he identified, yeah, we'll trade Casey Fossum for Kurt Schilling and it won't hurt us that much. Right. We'll trade Hanley Ramirez and Anibal Sanchez for Beckett Lowe and it won't hurt us that much. But we'll keep Kevin Euclid around right. because he's a guy that we want as a cornerstone and part of our organization. right? Or And he identified, hey, I want to trade for Adrian Gonzalez. And I know the 2011 year was bad, but Adrian Gonzalez was a good player while he was with the Red Sox. Maybe not as good as we thought he would be. Yeah, yeah. But he was still really good, but I think he's a guy that he'll be able to identify hey, these are the guys I can trade. Because I think a huge part about being a good GM in any sport is knowing which guys not to trade. And I give Dave Dombrowski a lot of credit for this. He knew, hey, I'm going to trade Yoan Moncada for Chris Sale. I'm not going to trade Andrew Benintendi. Benintendi helped them win a World Series. Moncada's been okay with the right. White Sox, but hasn't killed him. I think Theo will be great at that. And again, if there's one guy that can look at John Henry and say, this is unacceptable, you need to spend more money, I think it's the and he
3: also has like and he also has a, and here's why like and this is what I can bring like he has a resume right so it's not just someone saying no it's not just us sitting here on a Sunday at you know two S. o'clock John Henry's listening yeah say, <laughs> saying like they need to spend they need to spend no it's a guy who has done it before and has success doing it and the thing you mentioned and I'm I'm sort of piggybacking off what you just said but it's not only the Identifying talent and the fact that he knows baseball, and he's one of the best executives of all time. The reason he is one of the best executives of all time is because he has balls to make moves. And it reminds me of like the Danny Ainge versus Brad Stevens thing um, with with yeah. the uh, the Celtics, right? Ainge was here, and he had a, you know he had a, a great career here as an executive. But over the last five, four, five years, whatever it's been, maybe it's only been three or four, I can't remember the Brad Stevens timeline. But he's come in and he said, "I don't really care that Marcus Smart's the heart and soul. We can get." you know, Chris Stapps is back in for a trade and it's, you know, it's helped them so far and we'll get to Celtics later and maybe it really has But even but like,
1: look at, and, and the team to look at, I think if you're a Red Sox fan is not like everybody remembers 0-4 I have my 0-4 hat on right yeah. now, that was the pinnacle. But look at the 7 team. If you really want what Theo's full influence can be, because on that team you have Manny Ramirez making big money, David yep. Ortiz making big money, but then Kevin Euculus, homegrown guy, Dustin Pedroia, homegrown gro- guy, excuse me. Bobby Kielty, trade deadline guy with yep. the go-ahead homer in Game 4. Jacoby Ellsbury, homegrown guy on the pitching staff. He traded for Josh Beckett, signed big money for Dice K. Matsuzaka. Yep. Kurt Schilling's still there, and Tim Wakefield's still there. But then John Lester's on the pitching. Is
3: still there, or was he gone Uh that Not,
1: not Maybe that. Maybe not on the Yeah, roster. not on 07. Okay. But point is, then John Lester's homegrown, right? Oh, that's right, too. Yep. Uh, Hideki Okajima, guy you spent money in, in Japan for. Jonathan Papelbon, though, homegrown. So that, to me... Of all the teams they have, 07 and yeah. 2018, I think, were the best examples of balance between homegrown sure. and guys going are after. So that, to me, if you're a Red Sox fan, if you want to be excited, yeah, 04 is a great memory. Look at the 07 team because I think that's the team that, if Theo has his way, they're going to assemble something a lot like that because they're going to take the farm system they've built, which is good, not as good as maybe I think they thought it would be, but they're going to add some aggressiveness. Right. And he's the one guy. I think can get John Henry to do that. I'm with you. I love it. Yeah, me too. I and we're going to talk more about this later because I do again positive things on sports yeah, radio. Exactly. But I love Theo coming back. One thing though, not so positive because we are on sports radio. Boston Celtics have yeah, had some let's get real into it. trouble. <laughs> With teams out west, we're going to dive into that at the start of hour two. Coming up next,
2: we really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Mm-hmm.